Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, March 27th, 2018. Yeah, sorry we didn't have an episode yesterday. Had a family matter I needed to attend to. And this is going to be a really short week. Try to get a few episodes in. Pastoral duties calling. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, and sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word, to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, vision-casting leaders, and all those types, to see what if what they're saying and their teaching actually squares with what God's Word says when we put it back into context, using sound biblical hermeneutics, proper exegesis, a Christ-centered approach to Scripture. That's right. The Scriptures are about Jesus. They're not about you. And uh, properly distinguishing between law and gospel, proclaiming sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, all of those kinds of things. And uh, over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of teaching and doctrine that is put forward by people is far from what God's Word says. In fact, the church right now has been literally overrun uh, by a bunch of people who do not know what they're saying, have no clue who the Bible's about, and they are twisting it, making God's Word void, teaching for shameful gain things they ought not to teach, and generally making a complete heretical mess of things. And so the idea is, is that this program is politically incorrect as it is. It is not politically incorrect for the sake of being politically incorrect. Instead, we name names, we give you sound bites, we compare and contrast in order to teach you how to defend yourself, your family, your loved ones from those who would teach them false doctrine and uh, so that they can know the truth because the truth is so much better than the lies these people are putting forward. And by knowing the truth, have comfort assurance of their salvation, be protected from false teachers and uh, actually participate in the real Great Commission. Yeah, kind of an important thing. So let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Yep, we're going <laughs> to... I'm looking at this going... Okay, yeah, all right. So Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update to begin with. 
We're going to hear from Ryan Lestrange and his Monday word. We're going to hear from Katie Sousa about getting desnakeified. <laughs> can't make this up. Then we're going to do a new Apostolic Reformation update, and we're going to listen to Catherine Runala on Sid Roth's television, It's Supernatural, his program, to talk about how she received a baptism of fire and what that means regarding intimacy regarding God. And then we'll end off our number one by listening to a fellow I don't think we've heard from yet. Uh, his name is Joel Cave, and uh, he's uh, a vision casting leader who's teaching about, well, personal vision that God is supposed to give you. So we've got a lot of ground that we need to cover, but before we get to it, let me explain to you what the schedule will be this week. This will be the only normal episode of Fighting for the Faith. As we, you know, literally between Palm Sunday and Easter, uh, <laughs> my pastoral duties. Wow, the best way I can describe it is it it is off the chain. And so because of the sheer number of sermons that I've got to preach this week, this will be the only episode that will be a normal episode of Fighting for the Faith. Tomorrow we will have a normal light episode. And my hope, and we'll see, hopefully this will work out, is that on Thursday there will be uh, an episode where we'll collect a couple of good sermons on uh, on Christ's crucifixion, you know, kind of Good Friday type sermons, and that will be the the entire week for this week. Next week, just so you know, uh, is again is an augmented week. <laughs> yeah, coming out of Easter, uh, we only play good sermons in hour number two, the week after Easter, and that creates the foundation by which we then. Well, uh, we'll launch into the week after that, our worst Easter sermon of the year contest. So we will be using next week to begin taking submissions and previewing sermons and deciding who's going to make the cut and who's not going to make the cut for this year's worst Easter sermon of the year contest. So uh, details will be forthcoming on that. And if you want to prepare in advance, if you have somebody that you would like to submit for a good Easter sermon for next week, Go ahead and email me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, and in the subject, make the subject say good Easter sermon. If you'd like to submit somebody for a bad Easter sermon, you're going to have to wait until after it's preached. You don't get to prejudge. But uh, if after hearing a bad Easter sermon or you know of one that is just a complete epic biblical fail regarding... <laughs> how to properly handle the text teaching about the resurrection of Christ, go ahead and email me again, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, and then uh, in the subject line, put Worst Easter Sermon Contest. Worst Easter Sermon Contest, that way my email program can sort them out. And just like we have every year, we will preview every submission, good or bad, uh, so we're getting into that time of the year. <laughs> That's the way I could put it is it's a manic race. That's the only way I can describe it. So uh, with that, since we're going to begin with a prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate update, let's do this. Oh, hallelujah. Get up right now. I'm hearing something real powerful. 
listen to this. Yeah, that's right. That's Robert Tilton and Hubabaconda. So we're heading over to the YouTube channel of Ryan Lestrange, uh, the self-appointed apostle. He puts out uh, weekly prophetic words, and you have to put the word prophetic in air quotes because none of this makes any sense at all. And and you're going to note that in this particular Monday word that he is twisting Scripture. Now, one of the popular ways that people twist Scripture has to do with the story of Joseph. And over and again, what people make it about are Joseph's dreams. But the reality of the situation is, is if you pay attention to the details of the story of Joseph, then you know this, that the story of Joseph is a wonderful story that in type and shadow depicts the life, death, resurrection, and glorification of Jesus Christ. The story is about him. It's not about you having dreams. In fact, uh, nowhere are we told in Scripture that because Joseph had dreams that you too are going to have dreams as well, as if somehow that's kind of the whole point of the story of Joseph. In fact, that's not the point at all. So as we listen to Ryan Lestrange, the fact that he is twisting God's word in this Monday word is proof positive that he's a false teacher, but we'll uh, let him spew this out. Here we go. Hi, friends. It's Ryan Lestranger with the Monday Word, and my Monday Word is Joseph Dreams and Joseph Vision. Joseph Dreams and Joseph Vision. Joseph is one of my favorite... Is Joseph Vision like, you know, panel vision or, you know, that Technicolor or something like that? Is that what it's like? in the Bible. And he has this audacious, outrageous dream. One day he tells his brothers, in fact, he has a repetitive series of dreams, but one day he tells his brothers his dream that he's going to lead and they're eventually going to follow. They get so offended, they try to assassinate him. They try to kill him. And Joseph is sold into slavery. I think it was like 13 years from the time Joseph has his dream to all these trials, all these tribulations, all these issues. And finally, Joseph is ruling in the land of Egypt. Finally, finally. Yeah, that's right. And so like, well, because Joseph did that, you're going to be ruling too someday, right? Yeah, no. And his brothers and his father escape a bad situation and come to Egypt. Now, Joseph is in charge. He could kill them. He's the head guy. But watch what Joseph does in Genesis 45, 4. Joseph said to his brothers, come near me. They came near. He said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold to Egypt. Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me. For God sent me here to preserve life. And God sent me before you to preserve posterity for you. Which is why. Joseph is a wonderful type and shadow um, character that points us to the life of Christ. In fact, if you uh, if you really want to take a look at this in more in depth, uh, you know, a while back I did an entire series, Roseboro's Ramblings on the Book of Genesis, Roseboro's Ramblings on Genesis, and worked through the the entire story of Genesis itself, but in particular, in this case the story of Joseph, and pointed out how it points to Jesus Christ. 
Let's see what Ryan Lestrange is going to keep doing here. Save your lives from my great deliverance. So Joseph had an anointing. He had a, the power of God on his life to discern the word of the Lord. I believe God's raised up some Josephs because one of the things that God... You believe God's raising up some Josephs. Why do you believe that, Ryan? That's a descriptive text, not a prescriptive text, and you're twisting God's word by saying what you're saying. Promoted us when he was in captivity, uh, Pharaoh had a word. He had a dream, but nobody could translate. The witches couldn't, the diviners couldn't, but Joseph did. God's raising prophetic people, prophetic Josephs that can discern the word of the Lord. He had an. Yeah, well, that's weird. The uh, strange irony is, is that you are showing that you are incapable of discerning the written word of God, which means that your prophetic word is not true. Yeah, you're a false teacher because you're not rightly handling God's word at all. You're manipulating it, showing that you do not have the ability to discern while claiming that God is raising up people who can discern the word of God. Yeah, this is just weird to sense what is coming, to prepare for what is coming. I believe the prophetic anointing shows us in advance. And then I believe Joseph had prophetic wisdom. I believe God wants to release prophetic wisdom. But you know what? Joseph endured some things. He endured betrayal. He endured slavery. He was sold into slavery. He was taken advantage of. Many times God gives you a dream. God puts power on your life and somebody betrays you. And oftentimes it's multiple. Yeah. The, yeah. So have you ever received a dream and then somebody betrayed you? Again, total twisting of the book of Genesis and the story of, of Joseph, which shows that Ryan Lestrange is not hearing from God. And then you go through this thing of people taking advantage of you. That's what happened to Joseph. He was, he was sold into slavery. It was unfair. It was unjust. But Joseph had a decision. Do I give up? Do I quit? Is the dream dead? You see, many times you're going to be in situations that are opposite to your dream. Watch this step. Really? I'm going to be in situations opposite to my dream. What dream are you referring to again? Through false accusation. Maybe One my dream got lost in transit. I never got a tracking number on it. The things every dreamer is going to have to face is false accusation. People lying on you. Demons lying on you. And then he went through a tremendous amount of season delays. Delays. Delay are, are you experiencing season delays? Is this like a rain out during the baseball season? What exactly is that? These are called to produce frustration. And frustration is called to talk you out of destiny. But you got to where does it say that frustration is called to call me out of destiny? You're just making stuff up. That you will not give up on your destiny. Joseph kept going. And I want to give you some things Joseph did. Number one, he was merciful to his brothers. Jo the Joseph anointing, the Joseph dream, the Joseph power. The Joseph anointing. Again, where is that laid out in Scripture as something that I should expect that people can now receive today? flows through mercy. God's wanting to raise up a generation of merciful prophetic people. Joseph overcame bitterness. See, bitterness will get you stuck. Bitterness will talk you out of your promise. If he had remained bitter, I really believe he could not have come forth. But Joseph was rightly positioned. I want to prophesy and say, God is rightly positioning you. He said to his brothers, God, God is rightly positioning me for what exactly? 
look like you sold me, but God sent me here. And God sent him to an unfamiliar place, an uncomfortable place, but he was rightly positioned. Joseph's trust that where they're at today is divinely ordained. And you might be somewhere you don't understand. You might be somewhere uncomfortable, but you got to trust God that you are divinely ordained to be where you're at. God used the ungodly to bless Joseph. God used the ungodly to promote him. God's going to give you favor with people that you shouldn't even have favor with. Really? Wow. Where is that promise to me again? Because just because you're misquoting the story of Joseph doesn't mean that this is a promise for me. And then uh, Revelation came. But you see, Joseph had the right word. He got a strategy from heaven. Revelation is only half the equation. Once we get revelation, we need strategy. We need strategic praying. Yeah, we need strategy, man. Yeah. Nowhere in scripture does it teach anything, even remotely approaching this. Thinking. So I believe there's a Joseph dream, a dream that's audacious, a dream. Yeah, there's an audacious Joseph dream just waiting there for you, and people are going to hate you, but you need strategy and stuff. Uh-huh. Bold, a dream that's radical, a dream that's so bold it'll make people mad around you. But then there's a Joseph power. There's an anointing for you to live out the dream. So I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for. Done. Yeah, sorry, you don't get to pray for us. Wow. So, you know, that's like a typical example of the twisting of the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph is not about you having a dream or people hating you or betraying you or anything like that. The story of Joseph is a wonderful depiction of the life of Christ in type and shadow. Remember, Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph was betrayed yeah, and in a sense, you can say he died and rose again. That was his prison experience. Yeah, I mean, it's really fascinating, you know, what if you, when you do the comparative work between Jesus and Joseph, it's stunning how the parallels work. And it's not a parallel to your life, nor are we ever told that, you know, just like Joseph had these things happen to him, you're going to have them happen to you, because Joseph in type and shadow prophesies the life of Jesus not you. I think you get the point. Now, moving along, we're going to head over to the YouTube channel for Katie Sousa. Uh, This woman is a con artist. She claims that she is an ex-con. No, she is a present-day con. Best way I can describe her. And uh, we're going to be listening to her mangle God's word in kind of a bizarre way. This is the woman who claims that she received a demonic yeast infection after touching a uh, slot machine at a casino. Um, (laughs) No joke, it's in the archives of Fighting for the Faith. And here she is going to be teaching us about the importance about getting desnakeified. Yeah, have you been desnakeified? Well, if not, then, you know, you you might want to check in with Katie Sousa and learn how the procedure works for that particular thing. But here we go. I'm Katie Sousa, and you're watching Healing Your Soul, Real Keys to the Miraculous. Have you ever had some kind of problem and no matter what you tried, you couldn't get rid of it? Were you thinking, what is this? Well, for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about how the source of many of our issues could be a demonic serpent. No. (laughs) This is absurd. A demonic serpent is the source of my problems. Who knew? Okay natural serpents are masters of camouflage Mm -hmm. and could be right under your feet and you wouldn't even know it let me look 
Yeah, nope, nothing there. Yeah, I'm on the third floor here, yeah. Hell, it bit you. It's the same with demonic serpents. Yeah. They're hiding in all kinds of places in our lives. Re- really? Do you have a biblical text that says this? The text she's going to use, by the way. <laughs> oh, man, this shows this woman has no clue how to handle God's word. Havoc on everything from our physical and mental health to our financial and spiritual giftings. What's happening to some of us right now is just like what happened to the Apostle Paul in Acts 28. He was. Um. What? <laughs> yeah, okay. So, so the Apostle Paul. By the way, in Acts 28, the Apostle Paul was not bitten by a demon. Mm-mm, no. He was. <laughs> Actually bitten by a bona fide for real physical snake. Yeah. And, and oh man. Okay, we continue. Bracked on the island of Malta. It was cold, so he gathered up a bundle of sticks. Yeah. But what he didn't realize was there was a deadly viper hiding inside of it. He was walking around carrying it with him. However, when he threw that bundle on the fire, the heat of the flames drove that serpent out of its hiding place. Now it bit him, but he was left totally unharmed. Yeah. Right now, so many of us are carrying around deadly demonic snakes and we don't even know it. (laughs) Where am I carrying around a deadly demonic snake? Well, clearly I don't know it if I am. Where? Oh, man. Okay, hang on a second here. Let's take a look at the biblical text. I think that might help us out here. It's in Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. And this is the account of the aftermath of the shipwreck that uh, Paul experienced while he was being taken to Rome as a prisoner to basically appear before Caesar. The, the ship wrecked. They landed on Malta. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 28, verse 1, verse 1. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, though he has escaped from the sea. Justice has not allowed him to live. Notice the, you know, the kind of the false uh, understanding of who Paul is, that he's been forgiven, and that, you know, anything like that. They don't know Christ. This sounds more like karma. So he, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. And then they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Uh-huh. But he's that's not right either. Both extremes are false in this particular case. And you're going to note here that the Apostle Paul had a sure and certain word in the previous chapters that he would testify and be able to preach the gospel to Caesar and the house of Caesar and people like that and, you know, be, you know go on trial in Rome. So he had nothing to fear. I mean, God's word uh, ends up proving to be true. But the story continues a little bit there in Acts 28. Now in the neighborhood of that place there were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, 
who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. You're going to notice that this is one of the we passages of the book of Acts, which means the author, Luke, is along for the ride. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly when we were about to sail, and they put on board whatever we needed. So the Apostle Paul, you know, by God's grace and God's power, healed these people. And although the text doesn't say it, we have to assume that along with the curing, the healing goes along the preaching of the gospel. You know, Paul, the Apostle, always preaching Christ and him crucified for our sins. Now note, this is a a descriptive text, not a prescriptive text. And what Katie Sousa is doing here is allegorizing the snake and making it a stand-in somehow spiritually for demons. That's not what's really going on in this text at all, and she has no qualifications to be teaching anybody anything. But again, she's a con artist, not a sound biblical teacher. We continue, though. When we get exposed to the fiery presence of God, the fire will drive them out of their hiding place. And even if they bite us, we'll be left unharmed. Unbelievable. I literally have to back that up because it was so bad. Listen again. My apologies for having to subject you to this twice. But, I mean, this is just how awful of a biblical twister she is. Carrying around deadly, demonic snakes, and we don't even know it. But when we get exposed to the fiery presence of God, the fire will drive them out of their hiding place, and even if they bite us, we'll be left unharmed. Mm -hmm. So when we become exposed to the fiery presence of God, the serpents that we are unwittingly and unknowingly, demonic serpents, snaky thingies that we're carrying around will be driven out of their hiding places so that they could, so they can bite us is that the reason why they never mind did you know that after paul was delivered of that serpent he went on to heal all the sick people on that island again the snake is not a stand in for the devil in this case uh <laughs> unlike the serpent in the um opening portion of the book of genesis Man, this is bad. This means his anointing and his gift became even more powerful after he was delivered of that snake. No, that's not what that means at all. You just stuck that into the text. It doesn't say that anywhere. That's what's going to happen to you. when. No, it's not. The story isn't about me. There's no promise here for me. The way you're... Oh, man. (laughs) Why does anyone take this woman seriously? get desnakeified your gifts are going to explode yeah so as soon as you get desnakeified you know you're going to explode and stuff you're going to see signs wonders and miracles like no i'm not never have before let's go to the teaching now so i can prove it to you uh yeah no (laughs) there's no way for you to prove it to me because i already know you're twisting god's word terribly and there's no promise that if I could become desnakeified, that that would somehow mean that I would uh, end up being able to operate in a greater signs and wonders mantle anointing thingy. Wow, what a what a mess. 
All right, we are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we will be hearing from uh, Catherine Runala as well as a new fellow. Uh, that uh, his name is Joel Cave. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No sneaky squid spirit formed against us will prosper. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> seriously wrong with all of this. Uh, this is your captain speaking. Do not be alarmed. You are now free to move about the cabin and do as you please. Just whatever you do, don't question my actions or authority. So you're a brick salesperson, huh? Yep. 
But why on earth would you want to talk about something like that in a time like... Oh, yeah. I'm thinking it's time that Mr. High and Mighty got relieved of his duties. It is now time for you all to buckle your seatbelts and hold on tight because we are about to start doing barrel rolls. He's going to do what? <laughs> Remember to always trust your pilots. I know what I'm doing. Um, I do believe the ground is getting awfully close. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website. You'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Uh, warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that a lot of the people claiming prophetic insights and direct revelations from God are nothing but a bunch of con artists and Bible twisters. 
Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Hmm? Three different ways to support us. Um, when you join our crew, you actually get to pick your rank in our in our crew, and your rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey, and that's at nine dollars ninety five cents a month. After that, Gunner's made at twenty four ninety five a month. From there, Master Gunner at forty nine ninety five a month, and then Quartermaster ninety nine ninety five a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the donate button. If you'd like to become a patron on Patreon, click on the become a patron button. And if you'd like to make your contribution the old fashioned way you can make your gift payable to fighting for the faith and then send it to post office box 13344 grand forks north dakota zip code 58208 and let me thank you for your support we truly honestly cannot keep doing what we're doing without it all right time for a new apostolic reformation update let's do this what do you want to do tonight the same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, their genes have been sliced. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done. Will be By the dawning of the sun, they'll take over the world. They're pinky and the brain, yes, pinky and the brain. Their twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. They're pinky, they're pinky and the brain, 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 brain. brain. All right, so we're uh, heading over to the uh, Sid Roth It's Supernatural YouTube channel, and we're going to uh, listen to Catherine Rinala's appearance on the program, and she is in Jerusalem with Sid Roth, and uh, they're just coming out of a commercial break, and, um, well, yeah, Sid Roth is going to be just gushing over... Catherine Rinala, and in this lead up into the kind of the main section, we're going to be asking ourselves this question, what is this baptism of fire thing when Scripture says in the book of Ephesians that there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, and one God and Father of all? And we're going to listen as uh, you know, Catherine Rinala talks about her intimacy with God is based upon the fact that, I mean, she surrendered, and she received the uh, the baptism of uh, fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, here's Sid Roth to kind of introduce this segment. Here we go. Catherine, a word that I, when I think about you, I think about two things. I think about miracles and someone that has such intimacy with God uh, that the miracles are natural. Uh, mm, she has such intimacy with God that the miracles are natural. Hmm. 
You see, already we got a problem because Scripture contradicts that statement. Let me explain. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in the uh, epistle to the Galatians, uh, and if you've ever heard of the, the Galatian heresy, the Galatian heresy was the mixing of works righteousness with Christianity. Yeah, and uh, the Apostle Paul literally talks about what is it that qualified the, uh, the 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 Christians in Galatia to have, you know, manifestations of the Spirit? And listen to what the Apostle Paul says, because he is coming out against this idea that somehow we earn God's favor by our works. Uh, Galatians 3, chapter 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And you can throw into the category works of the law because you submitted, because you have you know, done this, that, or the other thing, or you, know, you have made yourself qualified to have these things. The answer is because they heard with faith. The Apostle Paul then says this, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did <laughs> did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer, by the way, is hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. And this is one of the major false doctrines of the whole charismatic movement, is this belief and explicit teaching that somebody makes themselves worthy of manifestations uh, of the Spirit by their works, by their surrendering, by their yearning, by their hunger, by whatever. Just fill in the blank. If you've got to do something to make yourself worthy to uh, receive manifestations of the Spirit, then you are in contradiction to what Paul explicitly says because, by the way, faith itself is given to you as a gift. The ability, and so God does these things not because of our works, but because we believe. And belief is not a work that we do to earn manifestations of the Spirit. So the idea then is, is that within the charismatic movement, over and again, you hear these false doctrines that somehow these people, like Catherine Rinala, they are special because they have attained uh, a level of submission or surrender or hunger or thirst that then made them qualified to receive from God the Holy Spirit these manifestations. In fact, what this does is it sets up a two-strata system within Christianity, The uh, maybe even three. You got your ordinary Christians who are doing their best. You have your backslidden, backslidden Christians who are at the bottom, you know, uh, you know, they maybe even lost their salvation. But then at the top, you have your glow-in-the-dark Christians. And uh, Catherine Ronaldo would be an example of a glow-in-the-dark Christian who has earned, earned from God these manifestations by her submission and stuff. And that's what you're going to hear as we continue. Let's keep going.
to you, what does intimacy with God mean? You know, the Bible talks about us becoming one with him because of the cross we have the privilege of actually being one with him and his desire the joy that was set before him was that we would have fellowship with him that is that we could be real with so the cross gave us the privilege of this but it didn't supply it gotta parse her words very carefully talk with him and hear what he's saying and tell him everything that's going on in our hearts you know, I believe if we learn how to really lean on him. If we learn how to really, not just not just lean, but how to really lean on him. Really, really. You know, so how, how do I know I'm really leaning? Try to work out things with our own understanding, but to lean on him, to, to involve him in every aspect of our lives, then he makes our path straight. And I tell you what, Christ in us, he has big dreams. You know, oh, he does. So Christ in us has big dreams. Which biblical text says that Christ in us has big dreams? I'm not familiar with that text. Thing that I'm begin from the people I interview in my study of the Bible, uh, of course, there's something called being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues or supernatural languages. But I hear so little, and yet when I interview people that move in extraordinary miracles, they have had what the Bible calls a baptism of fire. Tell me about the... Oh, so now there's... So there's no longer just... One baptism. By the way, this is what Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll put it in context. Ephesians chapter 4, I'll start at verse 1. Here's what the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have already been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is given, who is over all and through all and in all. Mm -hmm. So Scripture's clear. There are not two baptisms. There is one. Mm-hmm. And within the Pentecostal movements, they explicitly teach two, water baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They split the two apart. And now we're hearing about a third baptism that we're supposed to be learning about, and that's a baptism of fire, which only the rarest of the rare apparently experience. And Catherine Rinala, being one of these glow-in-the-dark Christians, she's apparently experienced this baptism of fire. We continue. You had a baptism of fire. Well, you know, I would read people like Maria Woodworth Eder and John G. Lake and Smith Wigglesworth and their experiences. Yeah, that's um, a high-ranking list of heretics there. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I used to think to myself, maybe I missed something. You know, I, I received the gift of tongues when I was about 13, and I'd pray in tongues, and that's powerful. I... But, you know, I wasn't doing the stuff that they were doing, and I thought... Yeah, I know, because you weren't glowing in the dark bright enough. You had to do something more in order to glow in the dark more. Notice again, this is a works-based theology. 
And I began to think, well, Lord, you said you were going to come and baptize us with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So I just... Yeah, they go together. (laughs) Yeah, this is not describing two baptisms here or a third baptism using the uh, charismatic way of doing things. Began to, to press in and contend with God saying, Lord, I want a baptism of fire. And I tell you, God just began to do such a deep work on my life. Yeah, God doesn't give a third baptism. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I was forever changed. And his power now, he he manifests himself in amazing miracles. Describe a specific moment in your history and what happened with this baptism in fire. Well, I used to go um, and rent videos when I was a mum with little kids of, of people who moved in miracles. I'd watch Catherine Kuhlman and different ones. Yeah, Catherine Kuhlman didn't work in miracles. And this was actually definitively proven by a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. She was a show lady. She was a theatrics, a thespian, if you would. And, uh, yeah, people that she paraded on stage as healed, they weren't healed at all. They ended up dying days later. And one day, the video bus man that I was renting these videos from, he prayed for me. And as I walked off the bus, I got in the car and suddenly the power of God came on me in such an amazing way. I shook and I laughed and I cried. And, you know, from that moment on, things have been different. Yeah, so she she did all the work and finally it showed up and she's super special and she glows in the dark because she's had a third baptism. Mm-hmm. The baptism of fire. Ephesians 4 says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. She's a glow-in-the-dark Christian. She's up there in the higher echelons, and you are just a mere mere mortal Christian. You know, uh-huh. So this is part of some weird works righteousness caste system that's part of uh, the Pentecostal movement. Lord, he comes with such power and such holy boldness. And I believe that's what the baptism of fire is. Out of curiosity. Yeah, that's what she believes. Because, you know, it's not taught in the Bible. And she twisted the biblical text that she mentioned. But, uh, hey, you know, she has experience of that. And she's on the Sid Roth program, so it's got to be true. Right? Yeah, no, actually, not at all. Moving along... Time for a vision casting leader update.
tonight. I'm gonna take the word and twist it. vision That's right. That's uh, Los Lobos Ministry Records and uh, their song, Casting Vision. So uh, we're going to head over to a church where I don't think we've really done any reviews from. And the name of it is Glow Church. Glow Church. As we listen to the vision casting leader, Joel Cave. That literally is his name, Joel Cave. And uh, a a portion of his message from the sermon, Ready, Aim, Fire. Ready, Aim, Fire. And uh, this is, again, kind of the typical quintessential twisting of God's Word and teaching of false doctrine that has nothing to do with actual biblical Christianity as it relates to uh, receiving a direct revelation from God regarding our purpose or His vision for our life. Here we go. I don't want to assume that we love new people here. I just spoke about that. At the end of the day, we can have all the dreams, desires, goals in the world, but ultimately our biggest goal, the prize must be, I want to be more like Jesus. All right. So the goal's got to be, I want to be more like Jesus. How do I do that? Feeling of I'm becoming more like Jesus, that has got to be our vision. But within that vision of becoming more like him, he's going to plant in us dreams desires. He's going to put the feelings of like things I can be doing. He's going to build relationships around my life. He's going to give me a sense of real vision and purpose for all that he has for me. Yeah. Uh, Do you have a biblical text that says that? Because being more like Jesus, I'm pretty sure has something to do with holiness. I'm pretty sure it has something to do with maybe like keeping the Ten Commandments and, you know, excelling in true righteousness, which is defined by Scripture and not defined by some vague idea of he's going to give me a feeling of purpose and things of that nature. Yeah, I'm just saying. He's going to give me those deeper senses of like, I need to take that faith step because it's him and we will chase. He's going to make me feel like I need to take a faith step. What is a faith step? Can you can you show me one in the Bible and show me where it teaches me that I need to be doing that? When we desire after him, he brings those things into our life. And what I found is this, that one of the biggest factors of vision or purpose is how I see things. 
Because vision and sight are two very related things. And I love that there's this great quote by Bill Hybels that says, vision is a picture of the future that produces passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, Bill Hybels, not one of the apostles. Um, I'm not sure what you're talking about here and why I should be listening to Bill Hybels and his quote that says, vision is a picture of a future that produces passion. Again, I need a biblical text. You haven't given me one. So what have you got a vision for in your life? What are you dreaming about? What is that that end goal? Yeah, so what do I have a vision for in my life? That'll make me apparently more like Jesus. Uh, how do you figure? You know, we, like I said last week, we're going for God, and we're going after becoming more like Jesus. But what is the, the dreams that God's placing off? What is those desires? Is it, is it that one day you might open a business, a coffee shop, maybe one day? So if I open a coffee shop or a business, I'll be more like Jesus. How do you figure? I graduate and be a doctor, or one day you want to, you know, you're believing that your, your mum and dad might be restored in a marriage, or you're believing that you might find a husband or a wife. I mean, what is the goal, the dream, the desires that God has placed in your life? And when you can kind of get a picture of it in your mind or in real life, you start, the Bible says that you need to write it down. It says, if you write it down, that's when God will do things in your life because. It- Where does it say that when I have a picture or a vision of the future that creates passion? God says to make sure to write it down. I'd like to see that text in context, please. You know, make the vision plain. Make it clear for Odyssey. Write it down. Draw it. If you can draw, draw it. If you can take a photo of it, take a photo of it. Like if it's one day I want to I want to be able to surf, then take a picture of someone surfing and put it on the wall. If you want to look... Yeah, this apparently is the creation of a vision board doctrine. However, it's a twisting of Scripture. Now, you heard him say... The Bible says, write it, write the vision, make it plain. This is a total twisting of the prophet Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2. Here's what the Lord, and you have to start in chapter 1. I'm not going to read the whole context in this episode of Fighting for the Faith. But if you go back and you read Habakkuk, you're going to note a dialogue between God and Habakkuk regarding the evil that's going on in Israel and why God is taking so long to act. And so... Here's what it says. I'll start at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. I will look to see what he will say to me, God, and what I, and what I, will, answer, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Verse 2. So then Yahweh answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. He's talking about the vision that God wants Habakkuk to write down. Not a vision for your life, but the vision of God's judgment against Israel so that the one who sees this vision written down by the prophet Habakkuk would literally run for his life. That's literally what it means, so that he may run who reads it. For the vision still awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So, uh, yeah, people like Joel Cave, they, uh, they take Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, rip it out of its context as if somehow it's teaching us that God's going to give us a unique vision for our lives, and when he does, we've got to write it down. That's not what this text is saying at all. Certain way, then take a photo and put it on the wall, like, put it in your way that you can see it. Like, the more we see it, the more that we can sense it. 
And I think it's important because when you have a sense for what God wants to do, when you can see what's going to happen, you know what? Passion starts to rise up. All of a sudden, you don't want to be late to work anymore because you now know what you're building for. All of a sudden, you are... Right. See, passion will rise up once God reveals to you what your unique vision is. And then, you know, if you want to become a surfer, you know, write, you know, put pictures of waves on your wall and stuff. This is not a biblical teaching, and this is not going to make you more like Jesus at all. Interested what's happening on the stock exchange because you have a vision for growing your finances or your portfolio. All of a sudden, you don't want to be late to church or drag to church because you've got a vision that God wants to use you to lead other people. That's what happens when we get a vision for God's purposes. But it- Yeah, no biblical text teaches this. You are not even remotely teaching anything remotely close to what Scripture reveals about being Christ-like. It amazes me how two people can be in exactly the same place, see the exact same thing, but walk away and thought two different things happened. What is amazing to me is that you think you're actually teaching a biblical doctrine without actually cracking open a Bible and engaging in sound biblical exegesis. What you are filling these people's minds with is not going to make them more Christ-like at all. In fact, chances are it's going to make them even more narcissistic than they already are. We see things matters. Check this photo out for a moment. And you may have seen... So he's showing an optical illusion on the screen. It's the one where it either looks like an old lady or it looks like a young lady, you know, turning away. Yeah, it's just weird. Photo before, and maybe you never have. But some of you right now are looking at this photo and you see an old woman. But others of you are looking at this photo and you see a young woman. But they're both there. It just depends on what way you're seeing it. Can you see? Who sees an old woman? Who sees a young woman? Who's like, what is going on here? It's like that whole, is it a purple dress? Is it a gold dress? I'm colorblind. I don't know what the dress is. Who cares? It's just a dress, right? But check this out, right? In this photo, there is an old woman and a young woman. But it all depends on the way you see it. Do you want me to point it out to you just in case you're like, what is going on here? Okay. Okay. So if you look at the... Unbelievable. Yeah, I think you get the idea. So if you attend a church where your vision casting leader in skinny jeans is telling you that you are supposed to receive a direct revelation from God for a vision for your life and uh, and that you need to write it down, you know, because Habakkuk 2.2, uh, you're attending a church where the pastor doesn't know how to rightly handle God's word and he's teaching false doctrine. You need to find a different church, and you need to do so, and I mean quick. Yeah, that quick sooner is much better than later when it comes to that. I'm just saying. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're heading over to Venue Church and Tabner Smith and his botching of the story of Esther. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. This might feel like theological waterboarding, but you'll get used to it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... (laughs) You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. 
Radio. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck, because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, Exclusive Skype Interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra Pirate Christian Media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! All right, we're back. Hour number two, Fighting for the Faith. You know, it's uh, been a while since we've done a Tavner Smith sermon review. And we're going to demonstrate once again, this guy has no business being a pastor because he doesn't meet any of the minimum qualifications, like rightly able to handle the word of truth, stuff like that. But uh, let's do this right. Good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Venue Church. Tavner Smith presiding. The name of the sermon is Dream, Hustle, Win. Yeah. Um, Tavner Smith is one of these fellows who is a narcissist. He is a Stephen Furtick wannabe vision casting leader who has no business being a pastor because Scripture is clear uh, that those who have the pastoral office, are before they have it, are to study and show themselves approved as a workman who need not blush with embarrassment, but who can rightly handle or divide the word of truth, something he literally does not know how to do. So, uh, yeah, this will be just the latest example 
and proof of that particular fact. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Tabner Smith and Dream Hustle Win. Here we go. Did you know the easy thing is learning something new? The hardest thing is unlearning all the old garbage you've had in your mind. Are, are you with me? Um, and so well, I'm going to teach you something new. And here's my prayer today. My prayer today is that those of you who've never heard this, that immediately when the word is spoken, it will take root in your heart. Right. Yeah. You need that word to immediately take root and stuff. Okay. That would require you to rightly handle it. My prayer is that you won't have to go through a process of erasing the old. My prayer for you is that you will immediately get it today and you will legitimately walk out of these doors. No cliche, not something I'm just saying. You will walk out of these doors. And here's what I'm believing. I'm believing that thousands of people at Venue Church today will never be the same again. They'll never be the same. He's believing for it. So it's got to happen because, you know, he's stepping out in faith, man. He's so audacious. Again. Come on, tell your neighbor, say, I'm never going to be the same. Get ready. Now tell them, say, you're never going to be the same. Come on, tell them. Now tell them, say, by the way, you look pretty good today too, you know? <laughs> Esther. Esther chapter 8. Esther chapter 8. About to let you in on a couple of stories. Esther is a, is a pretty girl. And, um, you know, she, she's an orphan. She's grown up with her uncle. And there's a king, Xerxes, who's kind of ruling the land. And his queen kind of did him dirty. He got rid of her. And now he wants a new queen. And so he, like, he just puts the word out. He's like, go find me all the prettiest women in the land and bring them here. And, and they, like... They gave them the spa treatment for a year before they would even put them in front of the king. I mean, I'm talking about hot tubs and oils and rub downs and perfumes and all that kind of stuff. And then finally, they bring them before the king. He looks at Esther and, and, and he picks Esther out of everybody. Now, this is what this story teaches about me that I'm not preaching about today, but it teaches me this. Work what you got. Are you with me? I mean, all she had was them lips, those hips, and those fingertips. You know what I'm talking about? But uh, I've never heard a pastor say anything like this. But then again, I don't think Tavner's really a pastor. He, he thinks of himself as a vision-casting leader. And this guy, oh, my goodness, he couldn't be more worldly if he tried. She worked it with everything she had, and it got her right beside the throne of the king. Ladies, if you got it, work it. You know what I'm talking about? Men, if you got it, work You know, I just come up you know, in my mind, off the top of my head, um, there, there, is this, there are instructions for women in the, uh, in the, Greek, uh, in the New Testament that uh, tell us that women should adorn themselves in respectable attire, with modesty and self-control. By the way, that is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. And it, literally, it, this is what it says, uh, what is appropriate for women. And here's what it says. First uh, Timothy chapter 2, I'll start at verse 8 so that we can get the context. It says, I desire that in every place that the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Scripture literally teaches uh, Christian women to adorn themselves with modesty, not work it if they've got it. Yeah, so this guy has no clue what he's talking about. Already I'm a bit hot under the collar and a wee bit offended by what it is he just said. Whatever God has given you, just work it. Look at your neighbor and say, work it. <laughs> Never said that in church before to anybody, have you? No, because God's word doesn't teach this. So here's what's happening is that there's this guy named Haman, and he's tricked the king into making a decree that all the Jews would be killed. He didn't like the Jews. They got on his nerves. He wanted them extinguished. So he got the king to make a decree and a law that all of the Jews would be killed. But God knows what he's doing. He sent Esther for just a time like this. And she gets in there and he loves her more than anything. And finally she gets an audience with him. And that's where we pick up in what I'm about to read right here. Verse uh, number five in Esther chapter eight. They're going to throw it on the screen. It says this, Esther said, if it pleased the king and if I have found favor with him and if he thinks it is right and if I'm pleasing to him, let there be a decree that reverses the orders of Haman, the son of, I don't even know how to say all that. We're going to skip that little part right there. This guy ordered that the Jews throughout all the king's provinces should be destroyed. For how can I endure to see my people? Because she's a Jew and my family slaughtered and destroyed. And King Xerxes said to the Queen Esther, Mordecai the Jew, I have given Esther the property of Haman and he has been impaled on a pole because he tried to destroy the Jews. Now go ahead and send a message to the Jews in the king's name, telling them whatever you want and seal it with the king's signet ring. Now here's where I want you to listen. I want you to get this. But remember that whatever has already been written in the king's name and sealed can never be revoked. I'm about to set some people free today. Can I-, I seriously doubt that. That phrase again? But remember that whatever has already been written in the king's name and sealed with his signet ring can never be revoked. Go with me to Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. We're in the same kind of situation. Daniel is a captive and they bring... So you're talking about how the politics work um, there in Babylon mm-hmm, or Persia. And some guys in and he ends up being, rising above the class. He's like the head of the, the crop. He's taking places of the people who aren't captives, who like live there and have served the king and they're mad and they're jealous and they go to the king and they say, hey, make this law. Make a law that if anybody prays to anybody but you, you'll throw them in the lion's den. Now, they did this on purpose because they knew Daniel was known that he prayed to God three times a day. And they knew that if he made this law, that Daniel would end up getting thrown into the lion's den. He would die. Everything would be taken care of, and they could move forward and have his position. Okay? And so they're just working their plan, and we pick up. In verse 12 of chapter 6, they got it on the screen. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. Listen, it is an official law of the Medes and Persians that what? Cannot be revoked. Are you seeing a pattern here? Yeah, uh... Then they told the king, the man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. 
And in- yeah, by the way, Daniel chapter 6, the story of Daniel in the lion's den, is a type and shadow account of Jesus' death and resurrection, complete with the stone in front of the tomb and the ceiling of the tomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really fascinating how that all works out. But again, this is all lost on Tabner Smith because he thinks the scriptures are about him, not Jesus. And as a result of it, he has no clue how to rightly handle a biblical text. The men went together to the king and said, Your Majesty, you know that according to the law, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last... The king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. Father, shift something in us eternally. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you on this subject today, God's plan. God's plan. I know Drake thinks he knows what God's plan is. I know his, his version of God's plan is hanging out at the University of Miami and passing out stacks of money. You know what I'm talking about. But I really want to talk to you about God's true plan. I really want to, I, I, I want to present to you what I believe God's true plan to get his kingdom to the earth is. Because you do know that is the whole purpose, Right? The whole purpose is not to get you to heaven. The whole purpose is to get heaven to earth through you. Yeah, um, which biblical text says that? That's not actually correct. You see, the kingdom of God comes to earth on the day that Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. It's not about God bringing his kingdom to earth through me. That's not at all a biblical teaching, at least the way you're teaching it. Know that I know that we've been taught our whole life that we've been we've been people try and scare the hell out of us to get us saved, right? You know what I'm talking about, and people try to. You mean by actually saying that um, you know what God's word says that we all deserve God's wrath and eternal judgment because of our sin, and that Christ has bled and died for our sins? You mean those lies? Because that's the truth us to think that this place is so bad that we should hope that one day we'll get there with him right in the sweet by and by we will meet on the beautiful shore right when the roll is called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder what in the world is yonder anyways you know what i'm saying i'll fly away oh glory anybody i'll fly away when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. You do know that we all die, right? I mean, Scripture teaches this. Uh, by the way, the Apostle Paul says something quite the opposite of what it is that Tavner Smith is spewing at this point. And I literally have to say we're experiencing all kinds of weird doctrinal spewage here. Uh, he's not really uh, teaching what Scripture says at all. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 says, says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified that God raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised." 
For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. Yeah, strange that Scripture has such an explicit focus on the eternal and on the resurrection of the dead and doesn't talk about bringing the kingdom of God here to earth. And notice that what um, Tavner is mocking, Scripture so explicitly teaches. Bad singer, good songs. (laughs) Nothing wrong with the music. But it was not the end intended message that God wanted to deliver to the earth. God's message to the earth was never supposed to be, hurry up and get back to me. Which is a total straw man. You're going to die. So, yeah, I don't know if you've noticed, it's taken a while for Jesus to return the second time. And that being the case, uh, we might want to pay attention to the fact that our lives, as Scripture describes them, are a mist. You know, we're here today, gone tomorrow, and the world doesn't even remember us anymore. It's serious. So uh, we're all dying because the wages of sin is death. So what he's doing here is engaging in a total straw man argument in order to mock the eternal focus of Christianity. Over and again, Scripture points us as Christians to focus on the things that are above, the things that are eternal, the things that are coming. We have a hope, and a hope is that, you know, that there's going to be a new heavens and new earth when Jesus returns. Uh huh, that's what Scripture teaches. This message to the earth was always supposed to be help me get heaven down there through you. No biblical text says that God needs our help bringing heaven to the earth. This guy doesn't know how to read. He doesn't know what the Bible's about. This is absolute false doctrine. Right? The Bible says that before the foundations of the world, he knew us. If he knew us, it means we were with him before we were created. If This is Mormonism. <laughs> I mean, no joke. Tavner Smith is teaching Mormonism. Wow. We're with him before we created. He then saw an answer the earth needed that could only be answered through you. And so he gave you a body to live in to bring the answer to the earth. So again, Mormonism here. Tavner Smith is teaching Mormonism. Give you to your family and your year and your city and your circumstance. And his desire for you is not to bring you back to him. It's to bring him through you. Yeah, again, which scripture says that, Tavner? I'd really like to see that biblical text, please. If we were with him before the foundations of the world, why would he send us here if all he wanted was to get us back? We were already- Again, Mormonism, we did not exist before we were created. Unbelievable. There. His plan isn't to get you back. That's a benefit. You get saved, you come in relationship with Jesus. The benefit of that is after you spend a lifetime of bringing heaven to earth, then you get the opportunity to do experience heaven. But it's not the end goal. It's not what we should get hung up on. It's not the intended desire just to get you back. If the only reason you got saved was to get to heaven, why wouldn't you die the moment you got saved? Yeah, this is human logic. He's not exegeting a biblical text. Well, then how come, you know... 
Yeah, if you're going to answer the question, you need to answer it biblically, not with your own musings or what you think sounds reasonable or rational. So he's teaching man-made doctrines, and they're coming out of the man preaching, not the Bible. But you continue to live. Why? Because there's something for you to do. I'm preaching. Yeah, make disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching all I've commanded. You, You see, you get that? Yeah, yeah. Where where the church exists to make a, make disciples. So yeah, if you want to say we have something to do, sure. Yeah, we Christians have the gospel to preach, sinners to call to repentance, and to assure them of the forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross. Already, and I'm just introing a little bit. Okay. Now, what I'm trying to get you to do is I'm trying to get you to think differently because that's what this entire series, Dream Hustle Win, is all about. It's about getting you thinking differently. Because if you can think differently, you can live differently, right? Have you ever heard this? Where the mind goes, the person follows. So apparently, you know, uh, Christian sanctification is a matter of losing stinking thinking. Uh huh. I thought they were called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of a, you know, of, a th- of different thinking. Okay, where the mind goes, the person follows. Do you know why you are where you are in life? You thought your way there. Because your thoughts created words, your words created habits, your habits created actions, and your actions got you right where you are. Again, which biblical text are you exegeting? This isn't taught in either Esther or Daniel. But it all started with the way you think. And I want to talk to you about thinking differently about you. I want to talk to you about God's plan. Yeah, please tell us. You know, I wanted to set it up by reading and and, and talking a little about, about kings and decrees and laws, because what we need to understand is the reason that God wants his kingdom to come through you is because your God is a king. Did you know that? Yeah, actually, I know that Jesus is king. He sits on the throne of David. He will sit on that throne forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm aware of that. Like, I work out at this place, and when you leave, like, when you open the door, you look to the right, and there's this weird picture of Jesus on the wall. I mean, it's weird. I mean, he looks like Jafar from Aladdin. You know what I'm talking about? Like, he's got this long robe on, and he's got, like, this pointy chin, and, 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 and he's white. Hey, white people, Jesus ain't white. Did you know that? Can I, can I help you a little bit? Uh, Jesus was actually Middle Eastern. He was Jewish. He would have had darker skin and curly hair, okay? So can we get Swedish P90X Jesus off of everything? Do you know what I'm talking about? Come on, people. Jesus is not Fabio's twin brother, you know? But we see this version of Jesus everywhere. Uh, we, we, when we think Jesus, uh, 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 can I cross the line a little bit? Do y'all mind? Can, can I push it a little bit? <clears throat> I, I just say what people think. When we think Jesus, we don't mean it disrespectful. We just have this picture in our mind because of what we've been taught and what religion has brought for it, to us. We think Jesus, we think pansy. Like he's just walking around in a robe and he lets people run all over him. What Bible are we reading? 
Read the Bible where Jesus is like, you're not going to make my father's house a den of thieves. And he goes and he's throwing tables over and he's whipping people. And he's saying, hey, you want some, bring it on. What about Jesus who, when he sees a storm, he don't get afraid of it. He just walks on it all the way across the water. And he's like walking up a wave and walking down a wave, walking through a wave. And he comes out and he ain't even wet. Lightning striking and he ain't afraid that it's going to hit the water because he's got more power than the lightning's got. Is somebody with me? That's the kind of Jesus that we serve. He's in the boat with the disciples and they're freaking out. But what's he doing? He's taking a cat nap in the back. That's the Jesus that we serve. We serve this Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Jesus, this Jesus that there, that since he humbled himself before man, God has raised him up in the eyes of the father. And he sits on the right hand of the father and he has the name that is above every other name. Any name you're dealing with in this house today, his name is above it. The name of depression, the name of cancer, the name of divorce, the name of anxiety. Oh, man. Yeah, this guy's a prosperity pimp, too. Name of anything that you got. We serve a God who his name is higher than those names. Those names have to bow because we serve a king. Come on, tell your neighbor, say he's a king. You got to get this. He's a king. He's a king. He's not wear a dress. Jesus, he's a king. He's not run all up on me, Jesus. He's a king. He's a king. Matter of fact, the Bible describes him as this. Not only is he a king, he is the king of kings. Meaning this, give me any other king and put him on a level. And I'm such a high level that I am a king of all the kings. I'm preaching. No, you're not. He's a king. Which gets us cheering right now. Right? Get a little bit of scream in there. Right? If I had a little organ to kick behind me, we can yell because he's a king. But here's what you have to understand. The fact that he categorized and dedicated himself to be a king gives him all power, but also brings restriction. Did you know that God has restriction? But it's only restriction that he put on himself. See, he's so powerful, he can restrict himself. He is all powerful. He is sovereign. He is the king. He is the king. He can, listen, God can do anything he chooses and wants to do. And knowing that he could do anything he wants to do, he decided to do this, make himself a king. Which means that if he is now a king, he has to operate under the rules of a king. Ugh. <laughs> this is so bad. So, I, yeah, you can see that this thing is already a major biblical train wreck. This guy has no idea what he's doing. He hasn't studied and showed himself approved as a workman who need not blush with embarrassment. He just basically... Is, you know, this is like building doctrine based upon what he thinks sounds reasonable. Well, if this is true, then that's true. And if that's true, then this is true because I've just misquoted 
Esther and Daniel and said, hey, look, the rules of the Medes and Persians regarding kings is this, so therefore it's got to be the same for Jesus and stuff. That's not how you do theology. You actually need true biblical revelation and passages that say the things that he's saying. But no passages actually say what he's saying. He's just literally spewing things off the top of his head and what sounds rational in his own small little mind and brain. We continue. Which means that as soon, listen, let me tell you how he restricted himself. He really didn't restrict himself. He really freed us. I just said something that might've went over your head, but I'm just telling you, if this stage wasn't four foot high, I might run a lap around the building right now. Because when he restricted us, he, when he restricted himself, he freed us to be a part of his plan. Again, which biblical text says these things? How he restricted himself. Are you ready? He made himself a king, which means that anything he decrees, anything he has made law, he is now subject to honor the law he made. See, we get... You, you do understand that it is contrary to the nature of God to lie. We actually have biblical texts that say that. It is, you know, God is not like a man that he should lie, Scripture says. <laughs> oh, this guy is just so aggravating to listen to. We get it all mixed up. We sing these songs about God being faithful, and we define that as he showed up when my bills were due, so that makes him faithful. That ain't what make God faithful. What makes God faithful is that he is so integrous that when he wrote his word, he decided he would never go against his word. That's what makes him faithful. No, it's contrary to the nature of God to lie or to go against his word. We have explicit scripture that says that. Unbelievable. So he, he arrives at an answer that's kind of correct. How he got there through some circuitous route through his own reasoning is just pathetic. He has the integrity. He has the utmost integrity that he holds himself to laws that you don't even know he wrote. That's why we're frustrated. The Bible says we perish because of lack of knowledge. We're mad. <laughs> Which you clearly demonstrate you are suffering from in spades. By the way, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 8 says something fascinating. Deuteronomy 12.8, you shall not do according to all that we are doing here today. Everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. what he's doing, he's, he's saying whatever is right in his own eyes, doing whatever is right in his own eyes. Deuteronomy 12.8 kind of says not to do that, but that's what Tavner's doing here. God, not because he did anything wrong. We're mad at God because we don't know the word. We think he don't like us. He's like, I love you. I just got to honor my word. If you'd learn my word, then you could recite it to me. And says the man who has no clue what God's word actually says or means. Unbelievable. <laughs> this is like being rebuked by a five-year-old for not having a, uh, a college education, as if the five-year-old does. What I said I would already do, and then that would open up the windows for me to do that in your life. Man, if y'all wouldn't think bad of me, I'd just throw this Bible at somebody. I'm going somewhere. I'm going. 
Yeah, the question is, are you actually going to heaven? It doesn't sound like you're too interested in getting there. Somewhere. Just so y'all know, we got started a little bit late, and we will go a little bit over today. Are y'all okay with that? North Georgia? No, I, please don't. Okay with that. Okay. Let's go. So Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1 through 3, they're not going to put it up, but it just basically goes like this, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit hovered over the waters of the deep, and God said, let there be light. See, the thing you have to know about a king is that what drives a king is the amount of territory they own and the condition of the citizens that live in that territory. Unbelievable. <laughs> so we're taking Esther 8 and Daniel 6 and the rule of the Medes and Persians and reading it back into Genesis chapter 1. Oh, boy. That's what drives the king. Now, here's what you got to put God in this place. Would somebody send this man a study Bible? It might help him. Here, because here's the difference. God is leading the greatest kingdom ever called heaven. Here's the only problem. It's invisible and nobody can see it. So how do you get glory from running a kingdom that nobody can see? <laughs> I, I'm going to go beat my head against a brick wall. I can just feel it at this point. Wow. Here's how you do it. You expand your kingdom... To a place that can be a physical, visible representation of what you already run, but nobody can see. Do you think for a second that angels are incapable of sight? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this is just... There's no biblical text that says any of these bizarre things that he's saying. This is, <laughs> this is like an insane person trying to tell you how the universe operates and stuff. Yeah, this is like a mental disorder we're listening to preaching from a, you know, from a stage of all places. And then when everybody sees the mirror of heaven on this place called earth, they will be able to look at it, see the greatness and glory of God, and they will lift their hands and say, you are amazing, you are a great king. That was the whole plan. But he's not leaving. Yet, yeah, which text says that was the plan? I'd like to see that one, please. His plan was to never leave heaven. God didn't want to leave heaven. God wanted to make earth, and he wanted somebody to run it for him. Right? So he made this guy named Adam. He took him out of the dust of the ground, and he formed him, and he breathed life into him, and he gave him authority, and he gave him power. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Throw it on the screen. It says this. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And then it says this, let them reign over the fish of the sea. You can keep going. The birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and govern it. He created this guy named Adam. He breathed the breath of life into him. He pulled Eve out of the inside of him. And then he looked at himself. He looked at his son and he looked at the Holy Spirit. And he said, 
if we are going to create a physical, visible version of heaven, that's the guy to run it for us. No, you just stuck that into the text. That's not what the text says, implies, or even remotely means. This is called eisegesis, by the way, where you're sticking stuff into the biblical text that is not there. So let them rule it. Did you know that the second he said, let them rule it, meaning Adam and Eve, he created the first law of our earth. Do you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, see, uh, (laughs) this is like story time with a madman. Okay. The law became the law became this, that the only person that has the authority to rule the earth now is someone who is my spirit living in a physical body. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Yeah. Somebody go get the uh <clears throat> those guys with the white coats and with the straight jacket. They need to lock this guy up. He is bonkers mad here. That was the first law. Can God change anything? Yeah. Is God sovereign? Yeah. Is God all-powerful? Yeah. And in his all-powerful wisdom, he made a law that he committed to live by, and that's this. I am not going to fix it from here. I am going to create a specimen that can bring heaven to earth there. I'm going to make a body. That's what makes him legal and function here. And then I'm going to breathe a spirit into him. And that's what gives him the authority to bring my power into heaven. I mean, into earth. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Says no biblical text anywhere. This is just coming right off the top of his head. But, you know. That's the thing with heretics. They literally are spiritually crazy. This guy is that in spades. See, some of this is new for some of you. And you're like, man, why hadn't God showed up in my life? And God's like, I did. I birthed you, gave you a body, and you have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. You expect me to come do everything? I made a law. I can't interfere with my law. Tag, you're it. On, on or, oh man, I don't think I'm going to get through this. This is just, I mean, seriously. Did Muhammad or the Joseph Smith write this? Come on, say God's plan. It's God's plan. I can prove it to you. Let me take you to a couple of verses. Take me to take me to Psalm, Psalm chapter one, fifteen, twelve through sixteen. It says the Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the people of Israel and. He will bless the priests and the sons of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both great and lowly. May the Lord richly bless both you and your children. May you be blessed. Praise the Lord. We're blessed. Who made the heaven and earth? Now listen, this is what you got to hear. Listen, now let me remind you before I read this phrase. I didn't write this. God wrote this into law. Do y'all know that's what this is? This is law that God wrote? By the way, the text says... Who made heaven and earth? The heavens belong to the to the Lord, but He has given the earth to all of humanity. This is true. We have been given the earth to be a, to to steward it. You know that was initially what 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 happened there at uh, in Genesis. 
But that doesn't make it some kind of, well, because this is the first law kind of thing, and God's a king, you know, and stuff. This is, again, really weird. Did you know, listen, you've been told your whole life that this is a spiritual religious book. This is not a spiritual religious book. This is a political book. What? Jesus was not a spiritual religious figure. He was a political figure. Why else would the Roman government kill him? They didn't kill him because they were afraid that he was going to be a good preacher. They killed him because they thought he was going to take over their kingdom. Yet Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this earth. Mm Mm-hmm. Weird. This is law. All right, let's read the law. The heavens belong to the Lord. But listen to this. But he has given the earth to all humanity. All right. I can breathe and the stars come out, but I have made a law and my law is this. I made earth. I put man on earth and I gave man the authority. You're it. I am not coming unless you give me the authority through you to come do something. No, that is not what this text says. So, (laughs) so he's taking Psalm 115 and said, well, because God gave us the earth. We, God can't even intervene unless we give him authority. Uh-huh. Who gave Jesus the authority to do the things he did? Huh? Yeah, this, this is just nonsense. Well, I don't know about that, Pastor. Okay, well, let's see what Amos has to say about it. Yeah, this like- is called proof texting, by the way. Ripping verses out of context, stringing them together in a way to make it look like they uh, appear to be teaching a doctrine they do not teach. Neither Psalm 115 or Amos say anything about God not having authority to operate in the earth unless we give it to him. In the world's Amos. It's in the Bible. Go to Amos. It's a little... A little tense, this first couple of verses. Listen to this message that the Lord has spoken against you. O people of Israel, against the entire family, I rescued from Egypt. From among all the families of the earth, I've been intimate with you alone. And they've kind of been cheating on him. That is why I must punish you for all your sins. Can't Now listen, this is what I want you to do. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Does a lion ever roar in a thicket without first finding a victim? Does a young lion growl in its den without first catching its prey? Does a bird ever get caught in a trap that has no bait? Does a trap spring shut when there's nothing to catch? Do you see the theme here? The theme is you can't have one without the other. There's things that team up. That's the theme. All right, keep going. When the ram's horn blows, a warning shouldn't be heeded. Uh, Shouldn't the people be alarmed? Yeah, that's how it works. Next, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord's planned it? Indeed, listen to this. Get this. The sovereign Lord. Can I remind you of something? I didn't write this. This is the Bible. The sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. Let me tell you what that passage is saying. You ready for this? Teamwork makes the dream work. No, that is not what the passage is saying. You're making that up. 
And here's God's plan for teamwork. Just like you can't catch something in a trap without bait, something can't get done in the earth without people. We are God's plan. We are God. I can take you through the Bible. I can take you. I mean, he started it with Adam, right? He started it with Adam. You're the first guy. You're the model. You're the law. You're the one I made. But do you know that God's law is so, so, so powerful that even Satan himself has to obey his law? Look at it. Maybe you've never thought about this, but did you think about this? Why in the world did Satan slither up to Adam and Eve like a snake? Because here's the spiritual principle. Since God's law is that the only thing that can legally bring his kingdom to earth is a body that is inhabited by a spirit that can operate legally. So here, here, here we go. Are you ready? Anything that doesn't have a body is illegal and has no authority in the earth. I am going to lose my mind. Again, which biblical text teaches this doctrine that it's illegal to operate on the earth without a body? Hmm. I would like to see the text because none of the texts you say it, you quoted, say that. Even Satan had to live by that law. That's why he slithered up as a snake. Why would he be inside a snake? Because he had to pick a body to be inside of. If it wasn't true, why would Satan have to possess people? If it, listen, the story... If it wasn't true, why would Satan have to possess people? See, possession is proof that he, you have to have a body before you can do authority thingies. Th this is utter nonsense. This is like Greek mythology. He says, he comes off the boat and there's the demoniac and, and he's cutting himself and he's screaming and he says, who's in you? And the demons say, legion, because we're many. And then they say, don't just cast us out into nowhere, but you put us in those pigs over there. Here's why. Because they understand they have no authority if they're not inside a body, which means they can't. Call yeah, and those pigs, what did they do right after Jesus put them into the herd of pigs, which should never have existed in Israel at the time because pigs are unclean? Yeah, just think about that. What happened to the that, that group of pigs? Oh, I know. They careened over a cliff and died in the uh, Sea of Galilee. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what happened to him. So, you know, that was a short lived, you know, inner body experience that they experienced inside those pigs. Any trouble if they're not inside a body. So if you take me out of this body, don't just cast me into a place where I'm illegal and can't do anything. Put us in some other bodies because we at least want to destroy something. So they run all the pigs off of the cliff because they knew that. Yeah, it, they didn't say because we at least want to destroy something. You added that to the text. Big part of the economy and the area that those people lived in, and they knew that it would do something to hurt them. It's the way the Bible works. Look at it. Look, I mean, all through the Bible, God's like, we're going to restart. We're going to hit the restart button. I'm going to send a flood. I'm going to redeem my people, though. But if I'm going to do it, I'm going to have to have some people saved. I'm going to have to have some animals saved. I'm going to have to have a family saved. We're going to need a boat for them to float on. Can I ask you a question? Did God himself come down in his spirit form and build a boat? No. Why? Because he couldn't? No, nah, he could have said boat. But he will not do that because he has subjected himself to his own law. That's weird because Genesis 1, God said, let there be light and there was light. God said, let there be plants and there were plants. Uh-huh. 
he says, now, if I'm going to save humanity, I, I'm not just going to say boat. That would break my law. I'm going to say Noah. Yeah, again, you're making stuff up. No text says any of this. Because since Noah is a body with the spirit in him that is mine, then I can say Noah or boat. It's the same thing. He don't look like a boat, but there's a boat in him. Oh, that is so absurd. Oh, man. Where did you get your theology degree from? A Cracker Jack box? The answer to what I have for the earth is in Noah. So I don't have to say boat. I just have to speak his name. And Noah built the boat. Oh, I'm going to send a savior to the world. But I need a nation for him to be born in. Who can I trust? Abraham. Abraham's like, God, I'm 99. Things ain't been working like they're supposed to. I'm getting old. God's like, that don't matter to me. God's like, that doesn't matter to me. I got a plan that I have to accomplish and you have a body that's willing to allow me to accomplish it. I don't care how old it is. That's why you can't disqualify yourself because of your age. He made a king, a king and eight that changed the whole nation. And he made a nation out of a guy that was 99. It don't matter. Teenagers, you're not too young. Old people, you're not too old. If you got a body, you got a call. Because you're God's plan. Mm, Yeah, you're so amazing, aren't you? Yeah, you'll notice the emphasis is on you, not Christ. Right? I mean, I could get all deep on you and tell you how I don't even believe it was supposed to be Abraham anyways. I I think it's supposed to be his dad. Because the Bible said that God called his dad first to go to Canaan, which was the promised land where he wanted to build his nation. But in the process, Abraham's brother Haran died. And then they ended up stopping in this town called Haran. And his dad never left the town named after the son that died. I could talk to you about how I believe that Abraham's dad got stuck in a past season that reminded him of his son and couldn't accomplish God's promise. So God tried out Abraham and said, will you go? And Abraham said, where? He said, I ain't going to tell you. And Abraham said, okay. God said, I don't care about your first name. All I care about is, will you do what I say? If you do what I say, you got a body, I can use you. Yeah, you keep adding stuff to the biblical text. Weird, did you find this in one of the Gnostic Gospels? Where exactly are you getting this doctrine from? Because my plan is, whatever has a body, I can empower with my spirit, and then the kingdom can be built on the earth. So Abraham went, right? And they had Isaac and Isaac got married and Isaac had twins. His him and his wife had twins, right? And they had Esau and they had Jacob. Y'all remember that story? And Jacob was the hairy red guy and he, and Jake, I mean, I mean, Esau was the hairy red guy and Jacob tricked him out of his birthright with a bowl of soup. Not because, listen, not because God liked Jacob better. Because God needed more bodies, right? Didn't Esau have a body? Just asking. What do you mean, Pastor? I don't think God picked Jacob because he was better. The Bible says Jacob was a trickster and he was a deceiver. I think God picked Jacob because he had the ability to procreate more human bodies than Esau did. Really, Esau was married to multiple women long before the bowl incident. Um, Okay, this is just crazy go nuts. 
Just insert your own ideas into the biblical text. Tabner Smith, now in his mind, sitting over Scripture, inserting stuff into Scripture that clearly the prophets and the apostles forgot to write down, but luckily he was able to figure out. How many kids Esau could have gave us, but Jacob gave us 12, which made the 12 tribes of Israel, which created the nation that God needed. He didn't pick him based off of his behavior. He picked him because he could create bodies because bodies is what he needs to fill with spirits to get God's kingdom into the earth. Again, Mormonism, not biblical Christianity. I'm preaching, y'all. Then there came this time where the Savior was going to be born. And the answer was this guy named Jesus. He was God's son. And did you know that God would not even break his own law for his own son. If this was not a law, and God did not need a body with his spirit in it, then he could have saved us from heaven. But he had to subject himself to the law that he created, and so the Bible said that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we could behold his what? Glory. Glory. So we could look at him and say, look at the glory and the faithfulness of this king. Even though it cost him his son, he will obey his own law. And Jesus became a man. And he died for us. Jesus became a man. And he died for us. Did you know, this is the whole reason I brought you here today was to tell you this. You know what God's plan is? You. Did you know that? Did you know what God's plan is? You! Yeah, that's weird. I thought God's plan was Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right, because the prophets wrote about him. The prophets longed to see the days that the apostles saw. Jesus is prophesied in Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 15, throughout all of the Old Testament. He is prophesied in type and shadow and prophesied in explicit deeds that he would be pierced for our transgressions, that he would be, be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Yeah, and uh, that he would be born in Bethlehem. I mean, look at all the prophecies there about Jesus. I thought the plan was Jesus. But Tabner Smith says the plan is you. And see, that's the point of this false doctrine. It's to get your eyes off of Jesus and onto you. Because after all, you know, God needed a plan, and he can't operate on the earth. His hands are tied without authority. So you you existed pre-incarnately, and so we needed lots of bodies so that, you know, spirits could come down to earth And because God's plan was you all along. This is some weird mixing of the word of faith heresy with Mormonism. You're God's plan! Because every time he needs a move of God to shake the earth... He has, it has to be done by human beings leading the move of God that shakes the earth. That was his plan that he chose in all of his power and glory, able to make anything he wanted. He made this plan and chose this plan. And he said, I want people. Yeah. Um, again, we fell into sin. Yeah. 
As a result of it, we were born dead in trespasses and sins. Mm-hmm, indeed. So uh, we got a problem here. We got a major problem here. To be the answer. So there's one call that I came to give you today. It's really what I felt like. I want you to play with me a little bit, if you would. Ruben, keys behind me. and I want you to focus. Don't look at your phone from this point forward. Don't think about where you're going to eat. Don't think about what time it is. I want you just to focus because there's something I really feel like I'm supposed to call you to do today. And I know maybe you want something profound. And this is you, sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is now descending on the audience, apparently, trying to get them to make decisions to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Uh huh. Come across really simple. This is what I actually feel like the call of God is for each and every one of us under the sound of my voice here, North Georgia, watching online all across the world. Here's the call today. Here's God's call to action for you. Are you ready for this? Lean in and get it. Go all in with him. Isn't it interesting how complacent we are? In the relationship that matters the most, the one who died for us on the cross. And we have all of these crazy excuses like, this is not my personality. I know, I hear that, but that's not true. Because no matter what your personality is, if I could pinpoint what you were passionate about, I could get something that looks different than your personality to rise out of you. Well, it's not my personality to raise my hands and sing to God. Okay, but if I started talking about old cars, you get a smile on your face and you get excited and your voice gets louder. Or if I start talking about college football, your voice gets louder. If I if I get to talking about your team or your team's rival. Or if I start talking about bargain hunting and shopping and couponing and all this kind of stuff, you get excited. Or if I start talking about your kids, you get excited. And if I start commenting your kids, you see this, this, this different part of you rise up. And we allow the enemy to trick us to think that it's our personality that's keeping us so complacent in our walk with God. But if I pinpointed your passion, you would realize that there's something in you that's bigger than your personality. It's amazing to me, man. It's amazing to me, and I'm speaking out of love. I'm challenging us. This is not condemning. I'm challenging us. Listen, let me say it this way. I'm not coming today to call you out. I'm coming today to call you up. Is anybody with me, okay? I'm not coming today to call you out. I'm coming today to call you up. Do I have permission to offend and challenge you? Come on, do I have permission? Because here's what I think the earth needs. Yeah, you've offended me with your false doctrine that just come right out of your blackened heart rather than a biblical text. Oh, yeah, I'm offended. Think about this. If the presence of God can flood the earth, everything can change. God can do more in five seconds in his presence than we can do in five years of hard work. And we come in here to a place where we chose to come. We got dressed up to come. There are other people that say they want the same thing as us. And they come in here and we get up here and we play music that if we worship can stir up the presence of God to do miracles in our life. And while we're in that presence, we stand there like this. 
just utter nonsense. Oh, you won't climb up, whatever the words are. And I can't even sing. But I don't give a rip. Because the tone of my voice is not what brings his presence. It's the fact that I'll worship. It's the fact that I'll sing. It's the fact that I'm so passionate that all I care about is him. I don't care what you think about me. I don't care if you give me a 10. With you voting on my voice, I don't care. All I care is my kids need Jesus. This generation needs something different than what they've seen from the one before. And I'll sing today and tell him how holy he is. Because you're just holy, God. And you're just worthy, God. You're just mighty, God. You're the king of kings. You're the king of kings. You are great, God. You are great, God. You are great, God. You are great, God. You are mighty. You're holy, God. You're worthy, God. You're worthy to be praised. Yes, you are. And you love me, God. You forgive me, God. You got a plan for me, God. And I just want to do whatever you want to do. Yeah. I worship you. I worship you, God. Worship you, God. Because you're holy, God. You're holy. It means you're set apart. It means you're different. It means you're not like anybody else, which means you won't treat me like everybody else treats me. You're holy, God. You're higher, God. You're the name above all names, God. Yes, you are. And I don't care. I don't care what they think. I don't care what they write about me on the internet. I don't care. I don't care what my background was. I don't care where I've been. All I care about is right now, I'm in relationship with you. And you love me for who I am. Yes, you do. There's nothing I could ever do. You love me. You love me. Love me. Don't care about money. I don't care about fame. I don't care. There ain't nothing wrong with it, but I don't care. It's not success to me. Success is can I look at my three daughters and they love you above everything else? Success is can I look at my wife and because she looks at the way I live, she still has respect for you, God. Success is can the people around me be touched and their faith be built just by being around me. Success for me. Mm, just by being around you. Yeah, it's all about you. Is can people come in and watch me burn and leave wanting a match to start a fire in them? I don't care. I don't care what you think of my outfit, even though it looks good. See, this is, some of you have heard me tell this story before and sorry that I just ranted, but like I wasn't ranting, I was worshiping. 
and it didn't sound good, and it didn't sound like the song, and I didn't even sing the lyrics of a song, but what I was doing is I was just letting God's presence get to the earth through me because he made this decree. You were, huh? You were letting the presence of God get to the earth through you because, I mean, God couldn't do that without a body, and, you know, you gave him the authority. Wow, that was so big of you, man. The only way he could invade the earth is if the people that had his spirit on the inside of them gave him the authority to invade the earth. So the question that I would say to you, how is God getting into the earth if you're not allowing him to get into the earth? Because you're afraid of what people think of your voice? Because you don't know the song? Because you disagree with the style of music? Screw all that crap! Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it's really about the substance of the false teaching that you're spewing at this point. And that is what I would say is bovine scatology, a hot load and pile of shmita, if you know what I mean. You know what matters? What matters is that the kingdom of God gets built on the earth and that Jesus' name is made famous. Yeah, you're not making Jesus' name famous because you're teaching false doctrine. You're like some weird word of faith Mormon guy. That's all that matters. Felt like I was supposed to tell you this real quick and then we're going to just... You felt like you were supposed to tell him what's coming next. Oh, so he's also a prophet, apparently. I was supposed to tell you, some of you have already heard, but I was supposed to tell you about the story about the time that we built our house in Greenville and Danielle called me on the phone and she said... Tavern, you got to hurry. You got to get home. Call 911. Do whatever you got to do. There's three men. They all got masks on. They're at the front door, the garage door, the back door. They're beating the door. They're trying to get in. I don't know what to do. I said, go lock yourself in the bathroom with the kids and call 911. I'm on my way. And I'm just going to be real with you. Like, maybe you don't want your pastor to be this way. But my first call was not to 911. My first call was to my guys. And I called my guys and I said, get a gun, get a knife, get whatever you got and meet me at my house. Somebody's trying to get in on Danielle. Man, they were like, we got it. Boom. They headed out. I was 20 minutes away. They were 30 minutes away. The next phone call was 911. And this is what I said to him. I'm not trying to sound tough. This is what I said to him. I said this. I said, hey, my wife's on the other line with somebody. There's people trying to get in our house. I said, this is what I need you to know. I'm 20 minutes away, but I want you to know. I'm speed. I'm going to go 120 if I have to. I'm not stopping for a red light. I'm not stopping for a stop sign. If you put somebody behind me with lights on, tell them I will not pull over. They can follow me all the way to my house because that's where they're needed in the first place. And I put, I put the gas down. Not making this up. We pulled in at the same time, my guys and me. They jumped out of the car. My friend Kyle, he jumped out with this huge Bowie knife, and he had this crazy look in his eye like this. My other friend jumped out with a baseball bat. I jumped out, and that was before I had my concealed permit that I have now because now I would have just shot the people, but then I didn't have a gun on me, and so I didn't know what to do, and I didn't have anything, and I started looking around, and in my neighbor's ditch, there was a garden claw. You know that thing that you, like, dig into the ground? It's got all the spikes on it. So I grabbed that sucker like a javelin, and I said, let's go. And we had this long driveway and I took that garden claw and he had his knife and he had his baseball bat. And I'm telling you, like Braveheart, at the top of my lungs, I was screaming while I was running down that driveway. Now listen, I said some things I shouldn't have said in the moment, okay? But the Lord has forgiven me. And I was like, oh, you better get out of that! I was running with his javelin down there. Listen, I didn't know what I was going to find. I didn't know if she was dead. I didn't know if they killed him. I didn't know if they were going to be shooting like gunfire coming out of the house. I didn't know anything. Here's what I knew. All I knew is that my life didn't matter. 
All I knew is that there was something so precious to me at the end of that driveway that I was willing to pay any price to get it safe. Now we got in there and they were gone. They never got in. Nothing happened. The Lord protected her. But listen, here's what the Lord told me to tell you. That is the spirit that he is calling us to as his people. He's calling us to that warrior. I see. So the Lord told you to tell everybody that he's calling us to have a warrior spirit. Uh huh. So we're supposed to model ourselves after you. Right. Spirit. He's calling us to that spirit that every day we will not wake up like zombies and walk around complacent trying to entertain the culture of this world. He is calling us to a place where we will jump up and grab the javelin and we will run at the enemy like we don't care what it costs. So get busy emulating Tavner Smith. Some of you, some of you used to burn like I burn. Yeah, I wouldn't want to burn like you burn. I'm afraid of where you're going to be burning for eternity. When you love God above everything else, before you loved your pride above everything else. Of course, he loves God above everything else. I mean, it just goes without saying, you know. Before you loved your job above everything else. Before you loved your boat above everything else. He, he loves his false doctrine above everything else. Before you loved your popularity above everything else, teenagers. Before you loved your fleshly desires above anything else. Do you remember that day? Have you ever had that day? Have you ever had that day? Have you ever had that day where something just ignited on the inside of you and you were never the same again? Like my day, February 15th, 1994. Do you remember that day? 24 years ago when a fire was lit in my soul and the flame has never gone out. But I've spent 24 years pouring gasoline on it. And do you know why? Yeah, the problem is that fire didn't start with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Clearly, based on your doctrine, uh, yeah, that fire started with sulfur and stuff in a really nether regiony place. Show up on Sunday. You show up on Sunday because you want to watch me burn. No. These people are deceived, clearly under a strong delusion. You show up on Sunday because you think, man, I just wish I had that passion. Guess what? You do. You got it. Yeah, passion and false doctrine doesn't save. Yeah, I think you get the point. So uh, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith, and you'll notice, Tabner Smith, it's all about him, not Jesus. Yet he says he wants to make Jesus' name famous, but I'm confused as to how you make Jesus' name famous without actually preaching Christ and rightly handling biblical text and pointing people to him. Yeah, the solution is you, apparently. Hmm. No biblical text says that. Very sad. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. 
Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ as vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.